Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Bob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd Middle Initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we have been listening to a minimalist recording of a song by the title Ashes by Dominica Knapp. And Dominica lives not too far from me. And many years ago, we shared the same stage for some uh, musical events. And she's on the telephone with me right now. Hello, Dominica. How are you? 
I'm well. How are you? I am well. Thank you, first of all, for joining me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I've never, uh, this is my first uh, podcast, actually, so this is this is pretty interesting. Well, if it goes well, then we will do a video version of it where you can actually play for the camera. How's that? That sounds like a good time. All right. Now, the um, speaking of playing, you play both guitar and banjo, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And you play what? What now? What do you call the style of banjo playing? Um, I play. I I play a style of banjo called. Um, some people call it claw hammer style. Um, it also can be called overhand style, or uh, frailing is a is another use for it. Now um, what? Yep. Now, when I knew you back a ways, and by the way, you still look as young as you did then, just so we, we, we clear the air here. A few more gray hairs. Uh, you know what? They add character. It happens to the best of us. It, it does, unfortunately. <laughs> How did you get, because when I knew you back when you were playing guitar, when did you start playing banjo? Um, actually, started. Um, I started playing banjo over the pandemic, which is... It's kind of funny. Um, I had heard um, many, probably eight, I want to say eight, eight, six to eight years ago. Um, I had heard um, my husband and I went to go see um, Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn when they came to the Weinberg. And I had never heard Clawhammer banjo before. Um, so... You know, when you hear banjo, a lot of people are like, run, yes, <laughs> paddle faster, the banjos are coming. Um, <laughs> um, but I heard Clawhammer and I'm like, wow, that's beautiful because it's melodic. Yes. It's beautiful and melodic and it doesn't have that, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, the three finger bluegrass style can, can be a little overpowering. And I mean, I'm a vocalist first and foremost, so you don't ever really want your instrument to overpower your vocals. You want a nice blend. So I heard that and I said, Oh my gosh, I need to, I need to learn how to do that. And so, um, that was the year I got a little good time, uh, a little good time during good time banjo for, for a Christmas present under the tree. But, um, I had never, I didn't even know where to look. Like, I didn't know, like, who did. There are not many Clawhammer banjo players um, in Frederick. <laughs> um, and I was really, I was, I was working so much. I was teaching yoga and, you know, we were, we had a little, you know, we were homeschooling our child and it was just, things were really busy. So I, I put that down and just kept looking at it. And then over the pandemic, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to learn this. I'm going to do it. And I did. I had a, you know, a Zoom banjo teacher. And um, there's many resources on Patreon now, which is great. And the um, the rise of interest in Americana music at the moment, especially right now, is just, it's blowing up. It's amazing. Um, there's Clawhammer banjo everywhere now. Now, by any chance, was your Zoom instructor Kevin Nydig up in Pennsylvania? No, it was um, a lady named Jane, Janie Rothfield, and she's out in um, uh, 
near Stanton, Virginia. And I was just at uh, Clifftop um, Appalachian Music Festival out in the middle of um, Clifftop, West Virginia. Um, I just got back on Sunday and I bumped into Janie and I hadn't seen her in person. And so I ran up to her and I was like, Janie! And she, she was like, in the flesh! And so it was kind of fun. <laughs> now, how did you find her in the first place? Um, so basic. I was so basic. I like went on to um, Deering's website <laughs> and it had a list of, you know, Zoom banjo instructors. And I was like, well, you know, I, I sort of trust Deering. They, they probably know their way around the banjo a little bit. So if somebody's a a registered teacher with with Deering, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll hit them up. And I did, and it was it was fun. It was good. <laughs> now, did you take classes like once a week or once a month? How did you do that? Um, I I did weekly for a while until I kind of got rolling. And then once I got most of the techniques, there's a lot of different, um, claw hammer technique is vastly different than strumming a guitar. Um, I would almost, I would almost say it's, you know, there's, there's so many, you can do your basic bum ditty, um, with your right hand. Um, which is a specific, it's your traditional claw hammer technique, or um, you can learn um, drop thumbing and double thumbing and alternate string pull-offs. And it's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of right hand and left hand coordination. So once I kind of got that down, then I didn't, I didn't really work with her that much anymore because I kind of just went off and on my own and and, um, now do, do you think it was a help that you were a guitar player or was that a hindrance? Oh, that was a big help. And actually I look back on, you know, I look at my style. I play, I have a, a very melodic approach to playing guitar. Um, I see a lot of people play guitar and they, you know, they do a little strumming and they do, um, you know, you'll do your, uh, Travis picking or your, you know, finger pick style. Um, my style was always very uh, melodic. So when I started playing claw hammer, I found it to be very similar in nature. So it really wasn't, it wasn't that much of a learning curve. It almost felt like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be playing. <laughs> so when in those learnings, in that learning stage in the beginning, how often did you pick the banjo up on a daily basis or maybe not every daily day. every day for how, for how long? Every day. Hours. I probably play, I set up and when I was learning, it was a lot. Um, and it's still kind of a lot because I still am in a constant state of, of learning. Um, but I probably play for at least two hours a day, sometimes more, sometimes Sometimes my husband comes downstairs and it's like, um, do you, do you realize it's, it's, it's midnight? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oops, I probably need to go to bed. <laughs> Sorry. Now we're the first. It's also a very loud instrument too. That doesn't even, that doesn't help. Well, especially if you're playing bluegrass style. 
Um, I, I don't, I play a little bluegrass style, but not really a lot. I do, um, I'm really into um, Appalachian acoustic blues, which is completely different than bluegrass. I'll play bluegrass because it's fun and because it's such a community based music. Um, you know, I hit a bluegrass jam once a week and some, you know, and it's just, it's a good time and it's, a lot of people playing music together and the energy is there and we all have a really, you know, great fun time and create community, which I love. But like when I'm playing my stuff, I'm playing like, you know, Hobart Smith and Lead Belly and <laughs> Blind Willie Johnson and <laughs> a little bit more, a little bit more uh, blues based. Now, were you into the Appalachian blue style of music prior to picking up the banjo? Is that what you, when you were solely a guitar player, what was what was the genre that you kind of fit in or described that when someone said, "What type of playing do you have? Do you oh, do?" Gosh, I just I have always had a very big influence in of of blues and jazz. I love blues and jazz. Um, when I played guitar, it was it was folk, blues, jazz based, um, influenced. When you I would say yeah, and you just said when I played guitar. I know. Yes, I still play guitar. <laughs> I still do. Um, I enjoy playing the banjo more. So <laughs> I'll play guitar, and people are always like, "Well, you play." You know, I'm like, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. So, um, <laughs> so my guess would be the banjo is on the stand so you can see it and the guitar is in a guitar, a guitar case. Oh, yeah. Um, my many, many banjos are hanging on walls. <laughs> I have banjos on pretty much every wall of, of my living room. <laughs> well, that, was, that brings up a, a question. How soon after you started? Well, first of all, let me jump back a little bit. Was it frustrating in the beginning? And how long did it take to go from, if it was frustrating, from frustrating to, oh, I kind of have this? Um, I think anytime you start something new, it's going to be a little frustrating. But I had, I had an outlook. And it was funny because I was put in a position where um, I didn't, I didn't, I was in my living room. It was a pandemic. I wasn't going out anywhere. Like I wasn't doing anything. I didn't have to perform. And as somebody who's, I mean, I've been a performer ever since I was a child, but you know, I didn't, I didn't have that pressure of doing that. So I really got to dig into this idea of being a beginner and like kind of enjoying really being terrible at something. <laughs> If well, that makes any sense at all. I was like, this is great. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm just going to like enjoy the process of learning it. Well, there are many people in life who should enjoy the joy of doing something rather than how is this going to look to everybody else? Right. And that was, that was the greatest thing ever. And I also had, you know, there's, I always have a little bit of a contrary, um, 
person. I have a very contrary personality every once in a while. So, you know, the more people that kind of were like, ew, you're going to play the banjo. Cause you know, people don't, people don't understand like any of that music for the most part. So they, they find it to be a little odd. I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to play the banjo and I'm really going to play the banjo now because. <laughs> well, how long did it take for you to graduate from the, the uh, Deering Good Time to a, a like a, a more expensive or better quality banjo? Um, probably uh, a year, two years. Now, was that because you just felt that you had outgrown the good time or you were looking for different sound or maybe better playability? What was the interest in, in changing? Um, my husband actually encouraged it. He's like, you, you probably need a better banjo. And I'm like, I probably, probably do. Um, so my next banjo I got was, um, I was actually, it was probably about a year because it was still during the pandemic and I had put an order in all I wanted for Christmas. Now it's like my husband, he says, you need a better banjo. Cause this one, like, this is your thing. Cause it was obvious that, that was going to be my thing. And, um, he was like, what about a custom? And I'm like, that would be kind of cool. And so I had an order put in for, you know, somebody to build me a banjo. And because of all the supply chain issues, it, it didn't come to fruition, but I was like, well, and so I found, um, my banjo that I, my first upgrade was, a, um, was a banjo from a Colorado company called Ohm, O-M-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, lo- I loved it. It was beautiful. It was ornate. It was beautiful. It sounded amazing. So you pick up a, you know, a high quality instrument like that. And, you know, now I, I still have my deer in good time, but I usually take that camping. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have the OME? I do. Yeah, oh, okay. I have that one too. Yep. So from, from the, you went from the Deering to the OME or OM, however you pronounce it. What'd you go to mm-hmm. after that? Um, then my next banjo was a, um, a company out of, um, Pisgah, North Carolina, um, called a Pisgah. And, um, I got that one because I was going to a lot of the bluegrass jams and open, open back banjos because of the style banjo I play, um, we think of banjos that have the big resonators on them and the resonators are loud, like very loud. They project and they're, they weigh a ton. My husband has a, a really nice resonator, resonator banjo. And I, I wouldn't want to have to wait, carry that around cause it, it weighs a lot. Um, but the open back banjos, when you stand to play with them, your body mutes the, the back of the banjo. So it's not very loud. Um, so my next banjo I got was from a company called Pisca, um, which I love Pisca. I think I, I love, um, the work that they do with the, um, African American community, um, to try to help 
reclaim um, the banjo to its, you know, to its source um, because the banjo is actually an African instrument. Um, and that one is a, a louder banjo. It has a different uh, tone ring and it's a different size pot. So it's a 12, that's the Pisca is what I usually play out just because um, I love playing it. I love the sound of it. It's rich and the tone is very full and it's um, a 12 inch pot, which gives you a little deeper of a sound. And the, um, the tone ring is a, um, a tuba phone tone ring. So it's got, um, it's, it's a brass tone ring that's hollow on the inside and has a bunch of holes in it. So it acts as like, almost like an internal resonator. So it, it packs a little bit more of a punch. So I can take that to like a bluegrass jam and, and survive <laughs> with it. Not get eaten alive by all the other, you know, really super loud resonator banjos. The ohm is just a beautiful, like, um, beautiful sounding banjo, but it, it's more of a, it's more delicate. The sound is more delicate than the Pisca. The, the sound is a little bit more robust. Now, in many of the photos on your website, and for those of you folks who are listening, if you'd like to check out Dominica's website, it's Dominica Knapp, and Knapp is K-N-A-P-P, dominicanappmusic.com. In many of the photos that you had taken somewhere in the woods or on a trail or a gravel road, the banjo has... Um, the headstock overlay is black and it has really nice inlay and then has some inlay mm -hmm. on the fretboard. Which, uh, which banjo is that one? That's the ohm. That's the ohm. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the one in some of the videos that has a very large, um, head, that would be the, the, uh, Pisca? that would be the Pisca. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. The Pisca, my, <laughs> it was funny because my, um, I was talking with my husband about, he also plays music too. So we're both kind of like, you know, we always talk about instruments and different, different stuff like that. And, um, he was, he likes the, all the inlay. He thinks that's nice. And I'm like, I like it too. I like the inlay, but personally I could care less what the instrument looks like as long as it has, I am, I'm so, um, particular with a specific sound. Like it has to have a specific sound. If it doesn't have that specific sound, then I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't care what it looks like. It could, I mean, I also have a, um, a cigar box guitar. <laughs> like, like that's a weird little, little thing. And it's, it's not very high quality. It doesn't, you know, they're made out of pretty much two by four, you know, pieces of wood and, and cigar boxes and, random you know electrical parts and stuff but they have a specific sound i'm like i like that sound so now is your cigar box guitar is it a, a three string a four string it's a four string yeah is i'm it, still trying to get the hang of that one now is that tuned like a mandolin like a, a four string banjo or is it like the like a tenor guitar which is the first four strings of a guitar um i have it right now tuned to um, the first four strings of the guitar, but I mean, any open tuning will work with the, um, with those four strings. Like you can do any, there's like, 
that's the other thing with claw hammer banjo um as well there's 8000 different tunings that you use because they're all open tunings so you're only using a couple fingers at the most most of the time when you're fretting um yes yeah now i have seen um cuz what is it i get a, a company out of new hampshire that supplies parts for um cigar box guitars something giddy or gibby or something like that and mm -hmm. some of their videos have led me to other videos and it seems like there are a lot of blues players who yes. play cigar box guitars mm -hmm. i mean well, some of them a, sound incredible i know it's so cool it's i mean it's one of those it's an instrument um that you know a lot of these especially a lot of the homemade instruments or the you know the more you know your cigar box guitar and your um your your like drum kind of kettle drum bass stand up bass kind of thing all of those types of instruments are all you know they were they were a big necessity because the people at the time that were playing these where these came about they didn't they didn't have any they weren't going to go to like you know your retail music store and buy an instrument because they were literally like using the tin cans that they had food that they ate from or found in the garbage to make instruments mm -hmm. to, to play. And I always, you know, as someone who plays, especially, you know, you play more Appalachian style music, you play fiddle tunes, you play, um, that emit like folk Americana style of music. You almost innately become like this, music anthropologist in a way and you just dive deep into into like where did this come from and why did this happen and why were these instruments created and why did you know <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting now you mentioned that as as nice as inlays and the ornateness of an instrument is the it's more the sound for you how about playability because mm -hmm. i would imagine uh, the necks are basically the same, like they are with guitars, but each guitar or each brand of guitar, and sometimes a different models within one guitar company can feel different. Um, yeah. How does the, the OM or the OME compare playability-wise with the uh, the other one? The Piscos neck is, is wider, so um, that is definitely different. Um, they both have, they're both, I mean, they're both made really well. So, you know, the frets are are polished and filed down on the top. You can't, you know, feel anything. Um, uh, they each have a scoop. I'm sitting here looking at them right now. So each of the necks have a scoop. So it's great um, for claw hammer players because we tend to play up on the neck. So when we strike with our right hand, we don't, we don't strike on the on the middle of the pot of the banjo. We strike up towards the um, towards the neck. So each of the the banjos have a scoop on the neck so that um, it's more comfortable. So you don't end up hitting frets when you're playing. Um, and, I, and it's and I've I've seen them. So it's almost as if they stopped putting frets in and then left mm -hmm. about anywhere what three to four inches, maybe five inches of just fretboard. Yeah. There's probably yeah. scooped a little bit, so it's angled low 
to to mm-hmm. high from your your the way your hand moves low to high. I would imagine. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, because a, a resonator banjo has frets all the way up. I think doesn't it? Yes, yeah. but they anchor their pinky or their ring finger, and they play down on the right. pot. So like, they they play more in the center of the the drum head. Yeah. Now you mentioned that both you and your husband are musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, so was he a banjo player before you were? Um. Yes. Yes. He plays more bluegrass. Right. And that that didn't uh, get you interested prior. It was only when you you heard the claw hammer style that really got interested. Mm-hmm. Yep, I love claw hammer style. Yeah. I mean, Abigail Washburn, Rhiannon Giddens, um, Rhiannon Giddens. Oh my goodness. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I love I love claw hammer style. Well, if I remember correctly from my acoustic guitar advertisements from many years ago, I think Abigail Washburn didn't she play an OME for a, a long time? Oh, yeah. She has the same one that I have. Oh, okay. I play the Juniper. The Juniper is the model that I play. And it was funny because when I was looking for an upgrade, because um, you, <laughs> there's a, it's, it's a syndrome. It, it's called, um, I have a disease and it's called Banjo Acquisition Syndrome. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's, it's serious. Um <laughs> <laughs> But well, when I was looking for an upgrade, I was like, well, Matt's like, what banjo does Abigail play? And I was like, I don't know. So I'm Googling it. And I start laughing hysterically. And he's like, what? And I was like, well, well, she plays the juniper. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> so how do you decide when you write music? Because you're also a songwriter. In fact, that mm-hmm. song Ashes is one of yours. And once you and I finish our conversation, the people listening to the show will hear where I stand, which, which, and I chose that because I wanted to lead off with the banjo. I wanted to end with the guitar because you do play both. Mm-hmm. The, how do you decide when you are writing as to which instrument you're going to be playing to go with that song? <laughs> this is funny because I write completely differently on the guitar than I do on the banjo. When I write on the guitar, a lot of times what happens is I will write the the music and then the words kind of just come and it's quick. It happens, you know, within minutes um, that something comes and I'm like, oh, this is an idea. And then I just start and I go. Um, With the banjo, actually, the funny thing is I will write lyrics and then write the banjo part. Um, but usually it takes a few days where I'm like, I write lyrics. I'm like, Oh, these are cool lyrics. And then like in a couple of days I'll sit down and, um, look at the lyrics that I wrote and then, then put the music to it. So it's, it's definitely a different process. So would the lyrics be your thoughts and the the banjo part would be the mood? Yes. Okay. So you have to figure out what mood you want to be conveying with the lyrics, I guess. Right. Yes. And because there's so many different 
um, tunings and so many different, I mean, Um, How do you you remember all the tunings? I have no idea. There, I typically stick to, um, open G sometimes, but not really because, um, I don't know. Well, that's, that's the general one that everyone is instructs in, I think. Correct. Um, I really like uh, sawmill tuning a lot. Um, or some people say mountain mountain modal uh, tuning. Um, double C tuning, I really like a lot. Um, now, in a double C, which strings are the Cs? Um, so, in a standard tuning, it would be uh, your G fifth string, and then D, G, B, D. Okay. And then in your double C tuning, it would be G, C, G, C, D. Okay. And then in your triple C tuning, it would be the the D would be C too. Now in the triple C, does that mean you could just bar fret to change chords? Since you've got so many C's in there, or 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 not? Oh, you could. Yeah, you could. Um, a lot of times you play notes, so most of the time I'm playing a lot of notes mm-hmm. or two finger chords, sometimes three finger chords. But yeah. Well, I I read an interesting article on Joni Mitchell at one point in time, and she's probably the the user of more different tunings than anyone on the planet <laughs> as has ever been. <laughs> But I had read one time and they said the reason she played in open tunings where she could bar with her finger because she had some problem with her hand from an accident or something like that. And she had difficulty fretting the way most of us would fret on a guitar. And I thought, oh, that makes Mm -hmm. perfect sense. Right. So that's, that's why I asked about the bar fretting on the, on the, the triple C. Yeah, no, I don't really do a huge amount of bar fretting because the um the style of banjo that i play is very melodic based um so you're not really playing you know a lot of chordage really you're 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 playing a lot of notes and melodies so it's it's a little different animal than you know playing a lot of bar bar chords on the guitar which you know i'll play bar chords on the guitar too but um it's a it's a completely different animal. Yeah. Now, was it difficult to learn clawhammer style and then be able to incorporate playing single notes? Because instead of brushing across, and, and I mean, I have a during good time banjo, and I have seconds of brilliance, and I mean just pure seconds, <laughs> maybe two. The um, and my difficult, and I didn't have an instructor. I was trying to do it just by watching some YouTube's. Is I flick when I play guitar without a pick. That's just the way mm-hmm. I, I do it. And so they said, no, not flick. It's you move the wrist up and down. The, you're not using the fingers. And then they said, oh, then you then you use like your middle finger or maybe your forefinger to pluck out single notes. Was that difficult mm-hmm. to then incorporate single notes in with the, uh, you know, the, the br- I don't know whether you call it the brush stroke or whatever, or was that e- easy for you? Um. I, the first time I did that, I did a, I found a YouTube video with, um, 
Oh my goodness. I can't remember her name. Oh my goodness. I hate when I do that. Um, she teaches with True Fire or whatever. She's um, Kathy Fink. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Very, <laughs> very well known. And if I remember yeah. correctly, she lives in the DC area. Shut the front door. Oh yeah. I think she does. That's funny. Um, and she did a tutorial on YouTube for beginner banjo. This was a hundred years ago. Well, probably, you know, three and a half years ago. And she taught how to just bum ditty and hit individual strings as you were, as you were doing your bum ditty. So first she taught your basic bum ditty brush stroke. And then she was like, now we're going to do, now you just hit this individual string with, you know, I have, um, I get my, I get my frailing nails, um, and for people who play banjo, they'll they'll be like, oh, yeah, the frailing nail issue. Um, I go to a nail salon and get two nails done every few weeks. And so I don't have to worry about breakage. But, yes, I will hit. And I still do those drills because they're, they're fun. Now, when you but said. You just hit individuals. Now, when you say you get your nails done, is it um, so that the nail ex- is extended slightly? So it's like a yes. pick? Yeah. Um, some people use um, those lead press on nails mm-hmm. and um, some people grow their nails out, but I'm also, you know, I work in the garden, I work around the house, you know, I got my hands in the sink, I'm doing all that stuff. So it was this constant stress. <laughs> it was, it was actually stressful, worried about breaking nails. So when you broke your nail, you were kind of like, Ugh. I don't, I don't have a frailing nail, so then you'd have to stick on those stupid. Now, do you deck, do you decorate your picking nails, or do they just no, no, they're just plain. I mean, you would. I destroy them, so by the time I go back and get them redone, usually the nail tech is like, "What, what are you doing?" <laughs> I was just wondering if maybe, like, if you have a big gig at a festival coming up, if you had one decorated in day glow. Yeah orange no. or you know what I mean just so it, it would re- just come right off yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so the um now let's switch over to guitars for a moment okay I am trying to remember and you either when I knew you and you were playing I think you were playing a Martin or was it a Taylor I still have that Martin I okay. still play that Martin yeah and then in one of the videos I thought I saw what looked like a guild or I could be wrong. Uh, it's a Gibson. A Gibson. Okay. Mm-hmm. So which, how do you choose which guitar you're going to pick up when you want to write on guitar? Uh, whatever one is sitting beside me. So right now I'm looking at my Martin okay. in the case in my living room. So the Gibson, I moved upstairs. So, okay. I'm sad. I have a dog who's very bossy and when she says it's time for bed, it's time for bed, even if I'm not done playing. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a guitar upstairs. So after I go to bed, I can climb into bed and and finish working on whatever I was working on. So she then can go to bed because I am, I'm a slave to my dog. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to tell me she jumped up and landed on it and put a hole in it. 
no, no. She's just like, excuse me, but it is time for bed. Yeah. And I say, okay. But then I have the bed guitar upstairs. Yeah, I've got you. Okay. <laughs> and then my husband's banjo is upstairs. So if I still want to play banjo, I can just grab his. Now, when you play out um, and you, you play quite a few places in the Frederick area, you're doing some wineries and things like that. And actually, let me mm-hmm. go back up here to the top. And I know a lot of these are past gigs. If you're anything like me, I totally forget to update my website. Oh, yep. I do that. I'm terrible. But you get 10th Ward. You play actually fairly often, I think, don't you? Yep. Yep. When you go out to, say, play at 10th Ward, do you take just the one banjo or do you take a guitar as well? I take both. I take a guitar and a banjo. Yep. Now you do that just so you can play your guitar songs or is it also to kind of change up the dynamics of the show so it's not the banjo all the time or not the guitar all the time? Um, Both reasons. Yeah. 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 I, there's, you know, there's, I, I wasn't, I was trying to like, for the longest time I was, um, trying to get away from playing guitar live. Um, just, I had some kind, I, I, I'm contrary. So, you know, when people are like, oh, I love it when you play guitar, I'm like, I'm going to play banjo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, it's nice for me to be able to incorporate some of the songs I wrote on guitar really. And I like, so, um, I've been learning to incorporate more, more guitar into my, into my shows. It makes it good for me too. It's like, you know, it makes it more interesting. Um, I'm a solo performer and you understand as Mm -hmm. a solo performer, you do it for a really long time. And then you're like, here we go again. Yeah. (laughs) So it is nice to um, to switch it up. Actually, I just built a um, suitcase kick drum. <laughs> oh, that's that's cool. I'm insane, but it's fun. Um, so eventually, that will be coming out. And I, there's a couple of the older tunes, uh, especially some of the old um, acoustic blues tunes on the banjo that work really well with the with the suitcase drum. Now, how are you going to keep the suitcase from falling over when you hit the pedal? I sit on it. Oh, so you're using the, the, um, the pedal that's kind of backwards that a lot of the, um, Cajon players use. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I've got you. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the sound of a Cajon. Um, but, and I tried to use a, a stomp box for a hot minute, like one of those little yes. log, log jam, logitech attack things. And I just, I didn't really, I didn't like that sound too much for what I, I see. I love it with other people. And for me, it's like, there's a specific sound that I'm looking for. So I'm, I wanted to try to build the kick drum because I wanted to, I wanted that. Yeah. The, the, specific sound. the, the, the pedal, ones that I've heard, they just don't have that oomph that a, um, like a suitcase bass drum or a cajon has. And I'm sure it's just because there's no volume, there's no resonance. It's just really a a piezo pickup on a, a, it's just like a, 
It's almost like the click track in the studio that's just a real high-pitched click that drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we all have, like, you know, past trauma from hearing, from trying to stay and do click tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you're like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah, I finally was able to get my recording engineer to come up with one that's kind of like a bonk. Yeah. And it's that, at least I can, uh, I could, they always say, don't listen to it, just hear it. Yes. Because if you listen to it, you're going to think you're going to, you're going too slow, so you'll speed up. Then you think you're going too fast. You, you just don't listen to it, just hear it. So, but I agree with you that the, plus it looks cooler, especially yeah. if you can find an old uh, suitcase that maybe has like the tweed look or one of the stripes on it or something. Oh yeah, I got the vintage stamp tonight. Oh, cool. <laughs> We're good to go. <laughs> That's very, very, very cool. So what is your <laughs> live setup like? If you're going to go out and play at, say, a winery or a brewery, how do right. you amplify? What do you use? Um, I use the uh, Bose Pro um, L1 Pro 8 okay. currently. Yep. Um, which, you know, it's great for me because I'm, I'm doing these gigs by myself. Yeah. I'm I'm not a very big woman. Um, so, you know, I, I said the years of me hoisting speakers up over my head and carrying large, um, powered mixers are over. (laughs) Well, and you know, Bose, as we, as we know, really revolutionized the small gig, um, PA market. Um, yeah with the, the L1 tower first and all their iterations. And I have two of those in the basement, actually three, cause I have a compact as well. And then I have two of the little S1, the little 15 pound cubes that actually sound mm-hmm. incredibly good. Yeah. Is that what you use with your, with your eight? Um, and the new, the newer uh, version Bose towers, I'm not as familiar with cause I know they they changed them about a year, year and a half ago. Right. It's got the subwoofer on the bottom yeah. mm-hmm. and then the tower on the top. And yep. I use the mixer, the Bose mixer yep. like that goes with it. Um, I am not a fan of the reverb. I don't, I don't really like their effects all that much, but I like, um, I like the way that it sounds natural. It's a natural sounding. It doesn't, you know, the, the mixer is a ethernet, you know, cook up. So there's no fuzz or noise in the speakers when you're not playing. And, um, it's easy to set up and it's fits in, you know, fits in the back of the trunk of the car, which is great. And, um, when I start playing larger venues, of course, I'm going to have to upgrade. Um, you'd but, be you'd be surprised though um i don't play at reg Edmond farm brew which is at Linganore wine cellars anymore um when i did and you're outside in the pavilion you're looking straight up the the buildings are off to the left the house is up the hill but mm-hmm. that that grassy area goes down about 100 yards to the right and people sit all the way down there mm-hmm. the wonderful thing about bose as you well know is the sound coverage is 180 degrees and they actually sound almost as good from behind as they do from from the front. But yeah. what I what I would do is take my tower and face it straight ahead, so it would hit the people in front of me off to the right. And I take a little S one and put it over to the edge on the right, going down a hundred yards. And believe it or not, it carries. 
Oh, well, that's good to know. Yeah, you just have to to set it up, and the um, the drawback is using them in a noise. And you've probably found this um, many of the breweries and some of the wineries they have done the insides of their buildings tasting rooms in this beautiful hardwood or metal or whatever and it's wonderful but it's like a cacophony of sound everything bounces that's terrible it is awful <laughs> and it's, it's, it's no no kind of pa system is gonna um work well in those situations although i will say that i have discovered that the bose systems because they don't just project the sound straight out it's in a kind of a sweep it does work a little bit, bit better so you actually have a very good system for indoor outdoor kudos to you yes good yes i'm happy i that that's my biggest pet peeve i go out and listen to a lot of live music when i can um and my biggest issue um with performers is that you know they're a great band or they're a great group or they're a great solo performer but they don't know how to run their sound properly or the equipment that they have is not used to the best that it could be used for. And so the sound is always like, you know, I, the, the use of the overuse of them not knowing how to EQ Mm -hmm. and, and just the equipment itself not working to the best of its ability is it's, it's, makes me insane. So that was the thing that I was like, when I do my stuff, I'm going to make sure that I sit with it and I learn how to use it. And I make sure that, you know, it's decent equipment. Well, I had this uh, discussion with my first video podcast was with my good friend, Ralph Hurchis, who hadn't performed in many, many years and has just started going out and playing at open mics. And his big concern about open mics or the thing he doesn't like about it. And I will, sit right beside him and say the same thing because I, although I ran them for many years, I've also gone to many and many of the hosts who will play the first couple songs will, will adjust everything t- to their settings and then just leave it that way for anybody who comes up. And as you and I both know, everyone's singing volume is different. How close they are to the mic is different. Their guitar or whatever instrument they're playing could be set at a different volume and it's very very frustrating many of the open mic hosts or people going into it don't understand sound so right that's wonderful that you have educated yourself on how to get a sound that you like because if you like it the people listening are going to like it right yep that's my you know it's it's me uh, i mean i think we've gone back to I like things specifically for a specific sound. And if it's not the sound that I want to get out of it, then it's <laughs> like, it's important. And speaking, it's art. <laughs> yeah, yes. And speaking of live sound, and we are recording this on Wednesday, August the 9th here in Frederick, Maryland. And uh, Dominica is actually performing this Sunday at the Sunday brunch concert series behind the Frederick coffee company on the Shabro stage from 11 until one. So if you are in the Frederick Maryland area or close by, and you want to hear some really, really good Americana style 
claw hammer banjo and maybe some guitar, please come out. You can stop at the Frederick Coffee Company, get a coffee or a smoothie and a muffin or breakfast or lunch sandwich. Come out and sit Adirondack chairs. It's the cutest little staging area for live music in the mid-Atlantic. And Dominica is going to be the featured performer. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Yeah. So tell me a little bit before we end our conversation in, on your website, um, on the events page, or I'm sorry, on the booking page, mm-hmm. you talk about growing up in a musical family and you've been a musician since childhood. Tell me a little bit how that all worked. Um, what the musical family was, when did you get into you know, an instrument or singing? Um, I think, I think I had posted a picture of me at one point on one of my social medias and I was maybe three and (laughs) and had a microphone in my hand. Um, no, uh, my mom is a singer. Um, so she's, they weren't, they weren't professional musicians. Um, but everybody in, in the house played something. So my brother had a drum kit downstairs and my dad played guitar and my mom would be singing all the time and all of their friends were musicians. So they would all get together and have these big jams. And, you know, I always joke, I'm like, I ran around in my diapers on a beach and everybody was just playing music. And that was just normal. That was the way it was supposed to be. I would go to friends' houses and I'd be like, there's no, you guys don't have any instruments. They have like a, you know, upright piano in the corner that had dust on it. Nobody touched, but. <laughs> now, where did you grow up? Um, Southern Maryland um, in Lesbian. Oh, okay. On the, um, right on the western shore of the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. The, the, uh, the Chesapeake Bay, which is famous for sea nettles in the summertime. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you put Vaseline on yourself and you're good. Yeah, the I, my ex brother in law had a place down in Southern Maryland, um, back in the the eighties, and we went to visit one time, and it was the second week of June. Oh and, yeah, and we're out, you know, swimming and having a great time. He had a jet ski. We were out on the jet ski, and we were sitting there over dinner later with a glass of wine. He says, "You know, it's a good thing you came down this week and not next week." I said, <laughs> "Well, why is this holiday coming up? It's going to be busy." He goes, "Oh no, no." The third week of, of June is when the sea nettles show up. Yep. I was like, what do you mean the sea nettles? Because I'm from New England. We had jellyfish, but they were about half the size of your palm. And they were just this gelatin thing you used to throw at each other. You know, you rarely had one that stung. Oh, yeah. No, these sting. <laughs> so w- w- what was your very first instrument that you played? Guitar. It was guitar. Now, how old were you when you actually picked one up and and, uh, decided this might be fun? Oh, gosh. 10-ish? 11? Mm-hmm. Now, since your dad was a guitar player, did he show you some rudimentary chords, things like that? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Exactly. Now, did the family ever have like a little... You said jams and things with friends, but did you ever start like a family band? No. No? No. It wasn't like that. Um, they would, people with friends would come over and, you know, especially when I got into like my, my teen angsty teen years and my preteen years, you know, I was hatched from an egg. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
And, you know, the friends would come over, you know, my parents would be like, oh, sing us a song. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to. <laughs> but I would. Um, but, yeah, then I just, you know, was hatched from an egg and, and had my little, you know, um, you know, the cure posters in my room because I'm a 90s kid and <laughs> in excess and Depeche Mode and. I shut the door and write angsty teen music on my guitar. And it was great. <laughs> now, how old were you when you, you decided to become a professional musician? In other words, you actually started to get gigs. Um, when I was around 19, 20. Yeah. Was it like coffee yeah. house gigs or, or, um, we used to go, we used to go to this place. I was probably, Was probably not supposed to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to say I was 21. Yep. <laughs> um, and going to this place for, um, I started, I had a roommate. I would play guitar and music all the time. And I made this little four track tape recording. <laughs> I don't even know. It's gone. It's, it's, uh, I'm way older than 2021 20, now, but, um, <laughs> um, she like took it <laughs> without me knowing it and took it to the like, bar way out in the middle of nowhere in St. Mary's County. Cause I, I was living in St. Mary's at the time I was working at the Navy base as a, on the, you know, at Pax river Navy base. And, so she took it to this bar. I had, I did not have enough material. And back then you played four hour gigs. Like you played all night. Um, I didn't have enough material. And she snuck it to the bar owner and he called me and said, do you want to play a gig? And I was like, sure. <laughs> I, I didn't have anything. I didn't have any PA equipment. I knew a friend who was like, I got you. And he set me up with all the PA equipment and set up, ran my sound for me. And, and I just buckled down and tried to learn as much, as many three chord wonders as I possibly could learn. <laughs> and then after that, that was it. Then I was like, Oh, I guess this is what I do now. <laughs> Well, and, and you are, you are continuing that. Uh, yeah. So, so what I mean, that's sort of how it started with the band show too. Cause yeah. I didn't want to play out. I did not. I, I did that. I did it for a long time. Of course, you know, cause yeah. that was a long time ago. And then, um, it, it's difficult to be a professional musician and play until, you know, 12 31 in the morning and then get a kid off the school on the bus the next day. Um, um, so I took a break and I didn't want them. I was like, mm, that's good. I don't need to play out. I just want to sit here on my couch and learn to play my banjo. <laughs> and my banjo teacher made me sing a song for her on zoom and I didn't want to do it. And she's like, well, why? And I'm like, I just, I don't want to. And she's like, just do it. And I did it. And she said, you have a really good voice. <laughs> you should play out. And I'm like, why did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So what does the future hold for you as far as gigging? What's your, your goal if you have one? Right now, I'm just enjoying it. It's just great. Um, I would like to branch out further out of Frederick for sure. Um, I, I need to record more as it's going to happen. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have, I don't have any major plans. Well, definitely how- like getting out of the area and expand expansion is always good, but I'm not going to push it. I'm going to kind of just keep writing, developing, um, learning. I'm starting to, um, I'm going to be, I'm still taking lessons. I'm still, you know, working on learning new skills and techniques. And, well, how often would you like to play or have a gig, um, say per month, a couple, three, four, once a week? What's your goal? What would be your happy place as far as playing out? In the summer, um, I like to keep one weekend open for camping, mm-hmm. but every other weekend I'd like to full to fill. So um, probably eight eight gigs a month yeah. is good. It's like it's not too much, but it's enough. Um, it's enough to not to get tired of it, right? Because exactly. like like anything else, um, I had a, a client one time who said, "Todd, I've retired twice." I retired the first time so I could play golf all the time. And after two years, I was so sick of golf. I went back and started a second career and I did that for another 10 years. And then I decided I wanted to play golf full time again. I did play golf for six months and hated it. He says, I still Mm -hmm. play occasionally for fun. He says, and that's my happy place. Right. You just find that sweet spot. Yeah. Um, So I feel like if I have a, a weekend that's only got one gig in it or, you know, I have to keep telling because I'm a workaholic and I will, I will work <laughs> a lot. I will not say no to work. Um, but I have to keep reminding myself, this is, this is the journey. <laughs> if you have a weekend that only has one show in it or whatever, you're not, you don't have FOMO. You stop that right now. <laughs> you can use this time for other things. Well, like I mentioned earlier, for those of you listening, if you're anywhere close to Frederick, Maryland this Sunday, and today is Wednesday, August the 9th, and you'd like to hear Dominica play, um, she's going to be at the Chabro stage behind the Frederick Coffee Company, which is right at 100 East Street, right in the corner of uh, Gas House. Well, it's, it's actually, well, anyways. You can look it up and get the directions, but the the stage is right behind it, behind another building, which is next door. It's the cutest place. She's going to be there from 11 to 1, and we want to thank Dominica for joining us here today on the the podcast. This has been great getting to know you again after so many years. I know. It's been a hot minute, hasn't it? It has. And like I said, you still look the same. The rest of us have (laughs) bypassed you by many, many, many years. So keep up what I you're doing. I always joke and I, I say I'm actually a 425-year-old forest witch and I'm not going to tell you how I <laughs> Yeah, I have my own secret potions, yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of the day. And how, well, quick question. Have you played the banjo yet today? 
Um, I have not. So you have at least two more hours in your day to play banjo. I do. All right. Well, you go and do it. And thanks again for joining me. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. That was Dominica Knapp and DominicanKnappMusic.com. And Dominica is spelled D-O-M-I-N-I-C-A, Knapp, K-N-A-P-P, music, DominicanKnappMusic.com. And again, join us this Sunday if you're in Frederick, Maryland, for the Sunday's um, brunch concert series where she's going to feature from 11 to 1. And we're going to finish the show with one of her songs on guitar titled Where I Stand. And he real still Could I let the whole world Pass me by Those men and women With their suits and cells Just move way too fast Way too fast Want to stand here and watch the blue sky turn to black as the blackbirds switch to stars? So I can think about how good or bad my life has been so far. How good or bad my life has been so far. Ain't it a shame it's so hard to stop and think anymore? Ain't it a shame we got too many places to be anymore? Ain't it a shame it's so hard to stop and breathe anymore? It feels like it's just me. Yeah, it feels like it's just me now I can't ask your name No And it's gone We know each other Better than we ever have I met you On the world wide web We know each other Better than we ever had Better than we ever had Ain't it a shame It's so hard To stop and think Anymore Ain't it a shame we got too many places to be anymore Ain't it a shame It's so hard to stop and breathe 
Me Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me, at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share it. You can find it on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or you can go direct to wispymopmusic.podbean.com. Any way works, as long as you Listen and share it. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye now.